Friends, our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 30 and 39 through 42. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to the Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came back. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. 
Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this truly is the savior of the world. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's text is the longest conversation in the Gospel of John. Jeb Bartlett from the show West Wing used to say, anyone who uses one word when you could use 10 just isn't trying hard enough. That was a line that my family would say about me when I wouldn't be quiet. And it certainly is a line we could say about the Gospel of John today. This is the longest recorded conversation in John. And what's interesting is, it never should have happened. Jesus was a Jew. The unnamed woman at the well was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't share things. The text tells us that. And it's both true and untrue. Jews and Samaritans didn't share food. They didn't share conversation. They didn't share customs. They didn't share a temple. They didn't share travel routes. Jews would avoid walking through Samaria and would walk all the way around it. What they did share was a history and a deep hatred of one another. You see, Jews and Samaritans came from the same patriarchs. This well was Jacob's well. They came from the same people, but when the world power of Babylon marched into Jerusalem and took half the population into exile, there were many who were left behind. And those who were left behind intermarried with other cultural groups in the area and formed the Samaritans. So when the Jewish people returned from decades in exile, they returned to find the Samaritans, who they viewed as impure as traitors, as half-breeds. So in 128 BCE, 150 years before this unlikely conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman took place, the Jewish high priest led a raid into Samaria to destroy Mount Gerizim, the Samaritan temple. Samaritans were worshiping Yahweh at Mount Gerizim But the high priest convinced Jews that prayers offered in any sanctuary other than Jerusalem was blasphemous, even if it was to the same God. A hundred years later, the Samaritans retaliated, and the violence went back and forth. So needless to say, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't talk to Jews. They didn't share water jugs. They didn't share small talk. They didn't share food or conversation. They didn't share travel routes. But here we are at Jacob's Well, a place with shared history. And Jesus, a Jew, asks a Samaritan for a drink. And as if this wasn't complicated enough already, there's a second reason this impossibly long conversation should have never taken place. That reason, as you might have guessed, is gender. In Jesus' day, righteous rabbis would not even look at a woman in public. 
Even if that woman was their wife or daughter, they could not look at her until they were home. As a matter of fact, many devout rabbis became known as the battered and bruised rabbis because they would stumble into walls or fences because their eyes were closed trying to avoid eye contact when a woman passed. Today's conversation being set at a well doesn't help this gender dynamic either because scripturally, encounters at wells make us think of marriage. Jacob and Rachel met at a well. Moses and his wife Zipporah met at a well. Wells were a place for courtship, and this woman already had a reputation of having many husbands. So this long conversation never should have happened. And yet here we are. Jesus, a Jewish man, befriending a Samaritan woman. What do we do with that? If we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't seem like Jesus did many things by mistake. So we have to assume that yes, Jesus knew their history. Yes, Jesus knew that Jews and Samaritans didn't talk. Yes, Jesus knew that men weren't supposed to look at women, let alone talk to them. And yes, Jesus did it anyway. If I had to guess, I think Jesus is making a radical decision here to befriend a woman that society would have expected him to shun because he knows that relationships are the only thing that can change the world. To some, Jesus was a teacher. To some, Jesus was a challenger. To some, Jesus was a mystery. But to the woman at the well, I imagine Jesus may have been all of those things and a friend. He saw her. He talked to her. He honored her with theological conversation about where they should worship, which was usually conversation reserved only for men. He heard her story. He didn't judge it. He trusted her to make a difference. Jesus befriended the woman at the well over the course of a long back-and-forth conversation, and he was the last person the world would have expected to do so. So what does that tell us about our job as people of faith? This week, there was a violent attack against Asian Americans. I'm sure you saw it on the news. A white man driving a blue Hyundai, a vehicle made and designed by Asian hands, shot and killed eight people, including six Asian American women, in their place of work. Many say the motive is unclear, but we've seen this kind of hatred before. In El Paso, in Charleston, in Pittsburgh, in Samaria. We know a racially motivated crime when we see one. What many, including myself, are relearning in the wake of this attack is that this incident is not the first of its kind. For decades, America has carried discrimination towards individuals of Asian descent. First, there was the China Exclusion Act of 1882, the first immigration law of its kind to ban people from a particular country. Then there were the Japanese internment camps during World War II which pulled thousands of Japanese Americans from their homes, many second, third, and fourth generation Americans forcing them to live in confinement. They had to abandon their pets, their homes, 
their lives, all because of their ethnic identity. We Presbyterians easily forget that one of those internment camps was located in our beloved Montreat, North Carolina. We, too, are part of this story. And throughout COVID, attacks against Asian Americans have been on the rise, largely attributed to hateful rhetoric around the disease. One of my dear friends and mentors is of Asian descent and shared that she had to stop riding the subway in New York City last March because the threats to her safety were so severe on a daily basis. Another friend shared that at the start of the pandemic, her 82-year-old Vietnamese father had all four of his tires slashed while he was picking up prescriptions at CVS. And now this, Atlanta, eight more killed. It does not seem all that different from the discrimination and fear between Jews and Samaritans so many years ago. And if Jesus were here, I imagine Jesus would walk into those storefronts in Atlanta because Jesus has never bowed to the lines of discrimination we draw in the sand. I imagine Jesus might ask those Asian American workers for a drink. And if they said, what are you doing here? I imagine he would ask them their story and honor them with meaningful conversation. I imagine he would not judge because Jesus doesn't judge. Instead, he would long to know and be known. He would offer them living water because everyone deserves a drink. I imagine Jesus would reveal himself bit by bit, meeting them where they are with their skepticism or fear or questions. And at the end, I imagine they would be friends. And if the world would listen, we would be changed. Friends, dozens of studies have shown again and again that genuine relationships are the key to eradicating racism. We have to befriend one another across racial divides and in our own backyards. We have to have conversations at the well. I think Jesus knew that when he walked into Samaria. I think he knew that this Samaritan woman could change the world. I think he saw the good in her from a mile away that the rest of the world was missing. So if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to have conversations at the well. We have to practice befriending one another across racial divides and in our own backyard. For some, Jesus was a welcome. For others, Jesus was a mystery. But for the woman at the well, I think Jesus was an unlikely friend, and it changed the world. So what does that mean for our faith? When I was in high school, my youth group went to Montreat every summer, just as we do with our youth here at PHPC. The Montreat Youth Conference was the highlight of my youth career. It was everybody's favorite trip, and my last trip that senior year was something I had looked forward to for months. On Wednesday, the conference always gave us the afternoon off for group bonding, so on Wednesday that year, my youth group decided to go hiking. We threw on our tennis shoes and started heading out to the trails when we realized that our favorite chaperone, Matt, was nowhere to be found. Matt was the coolest. Matt had the best sense of humor and could make our entire youth group laugh until we cried. 
Matt also had that distinct ability of making everyone in the room feel valued. You know those people. So of course, we always wanted to be around him. That afternoon, we walked through every room in our house. We checked the cars, we called him, we waited a bit, but still we couldn't find him. So eventually the group, a little disappointed, went hiking without him. That night at dinner, I came downstairs after our hike to find Matt sitting at the kitchen table. I ran over to him and said, hey, where were you this afternoon? We were looking all over for you. Everybody went hiking. Everyone was there. You missed it. Very calmly, Matt looked me in the eye and said, I was at the lake with Connor. There seemed to be some surprise in his voice as if he realized what I realized in that moment, which is that we had all forgotten about Connor. Connor was the new kid in the youth group. He was a tiny freshman boy who had just transferred schools because of bullying. Everyone on the trip was kind to him, but nobody really knew him. And in that moment, it was crystal clear that nobody, myself included, had taken the time to befriend him. Connor might as well have been walking to the well at high noon. He was very clearly not in our group. But Matt saw him. Matt took the time. Matt got to know him. Matt chose to spend our whole free afternoon hanging out with Connor when the rest of us had forgotten he was even there. And in that moment, I learned more about our call as people of faith through Matt's example alone than I learned in any Montreat keynote or worship service that week. It was a light bulb moment for me. I realized that maybe my job as a person of faith cannot be to simply befriend those who look like me or think like me, and my job as a person of faith cannot be to only befriend those who stumble into my path. I have to make an effort to stand at the well and have the conversation and ask the hard questions and share who I am. And only when we do that does the world change. Jesus saw the woman at the well. Matt saw Connor in our youth group. And what happened is the Samaritan woman went back to her town and told everyone the good news of Jesus. And Connor ended up becoming at home in our youth group. He regained his confidence after years of being bullied and came back as a college kid to serve as a youth intern at the church. Nobody expected Matt to spend his whole afternoon with the quiet new kid. But then again, nobody expected Jesus, a Jewish man, to stop at the well at high noon and befriend an unmarried Samaritan woman. We have to practice befriending one another in small ways and in large, across racial divides and in our own backyard. It might be the only thing that can change the world. Family of faith, I think we needed this text for today. To remember that Jesus was in the business of befriending those that society overlooked, pushed aside, and denied living water. Jesus would have always chosen to go to the lake with Connor, 
And he would have always chosen to be with those women in Atlanta. They deserve living water. And it's easy to feel stuck to say, well, I want to help. I want to be like Jesus, but I have no idea how to get there or where the well is. And what I want to say to you is you are already standing at the well. You were standing at the well when you showed up with food for the youth food drive and donated more food than Vickery Meadows Pantry has ever seen in a single donation. And you were standing at the well the week of the tornado when donations and resources and volunteers poured in to help those in need. And you were standing at the well this past month when over a hundred of you joined Sarah Johnson and Dr. Michael Waters in a conversation about the history of race in America. You were already standing at the well. So what's next is to keep listening, to keep learning, to honor others with meaningful and non-judgmental conversation to look for the Connors and for the Samaritan women in the world and to sow seeds of friendship. That is what we see Jesus do. So family of faith, let's get to work. If we do this right, if we love as he loved, it just might change the world. May it be so with God's help. Pray with me. We believe Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.